Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, October 3rd. It's time for the Power Hour. If you have any maintenance-related questions, anything at all, pick up the phone and join us. 855-950-3835. We've got the team from Pittsburgh Power here to do the heavy lifting. We'll hear from them, Bruce and Pete and Leroy. Then we'll get to your calls and questions, so line them up. Let's uh, let's jump right in and get started. Bruce, you're first up on the board. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. It's a beautiful day in Saxonburg, Pennsylvania. I think it's going to be a beautiful day here in Cascade Locks, Oregon as well, so good. Good. Anyway, the owner-operator snowmobile conference, we had to move it up one week. We are meeting on February 21st and leaving on February 25th, or you can stay as long as you want. We will be at the Gateway Inn. It's a fairly new facility, tremendous amount of parking, ride right into town on the snowmobiles, the town of Grand Lake, Colorado. That's their main industry is snowmobiling, so they leave the snow on the streets and ride right out of the lodge into the trail system. So Darcy is our contact there. Phone number is 970-627-2400. King bedroom is $109 a night. A room with two queens is $125 a night. So the prices aren't too bad. No, those are good prices. They do have... Yeah, yeah. They do have a bar and a hot tub, and the restaurant is open sometimes. And I said, well, most of these people that are coming are on a keto diet. She said, maybe we could put out some Danish for breakfast. That's what I want to know. <laughs> a lot of these people are on the keto diet. <laughs> we need bacon and eggs and sausage and That's ham. Right. So. That's right. File on the meat and eggs, and everybody will be happy. Right. Snowmobile Rentals, it's called On the Trail Rentals. Their number is 970-627-0171. And they have Skidoo and Polaris, and they're new snowmobiles. If you don't remember this, call Kathy here at the shop, or she's our receptionist that answers the phone. We're still one of those companies that answer the phone instead of a machine and yes, giving me all do. that BS. And I just called a place. It took about three minutes before I could hit the button to get to a person. <laughs> and uh, and it was a car dealership, and that bothers me. Yeah. Anyway, um, next thing. Oh, the Snowmobile Conference is a wonderful way to meet new friends, just like the CMC was. Uh, during the day, we ride. During the evening, we eat, have some drinks, and talk about snowmobiles, and we talk about trucking. Hang out around the fireplace or in the hot tub. You know, I got to tell you, next Grand, Grand, Grand Lake, Colorado is a beautiful place. I mean, it's a beautiful place because of the surroundings, the scenery. It's just a very cool town. Like you said, they just leave the snow on the roads in the wintertime. It is, uh, it, that sounds like a lot of fun there. It's at the beginning of the Colorado River. There are two big lakes there. They are frozen. They're some of the deepest lakes in North America. I'll snowmobile on a lake, but I don't snowmobile on those lakes. 
<laughs> Bruce, I'm not really sure that it would matter if you're going to fall through the ice with a snowmobile. Does it matter if it's 10 feet or 200 feet deep? The outcome is about the same. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. So then we have coming up the California Truck Show in Ontario, California. It's going to be on October 14th and 15th. Bill from Pittsburgh Power will be there along with Dr. Jane Gates and her partner, Brett Beal. So if you want to talk about uh, max mileage fuel-borne catalysts or if you want to talk about emission systems and uh, just about anything else, those three will be able to answer your questions. And then we have that show coming up in Nashville that you're going to be at, and you'll be there, and we'll get to see you. And that's on November 3rd, 4th. Oh, you're going to be there? second, third, and fourth. Yeah, I'm going to be there. Excellent. Excellent. I was trying to make it to the California Truck Show, and I was looking forward to seeing Bill and Dr. Jane, and it doesn't look like I'm going to make it. Did I? I don't think I told you what happened with the coach. Did I? No. Yeah, I can't remember. So I was supposed to pick it up last Friday. It's been in the shop for like eight months. I can't even remember when I dropped it off. Most of that is my fault. We were trying to decide what to do on the interior. So um, the shop does an excellent job. That's the only shop that's ever worked on that coach other than myself and, you know, your guys when they were helping me in the shop. And they always get it done on time. I've never had a complaint about their work. It's just it's been in there mostly because I was making decisions. And honestly, they're really nice about it. They've been storing my coach for me for eight months. So that's not a bad deal either. So I was going to pick it up Friday. That would give me some time to, we had reservations to just head right over to an RV park and hook up, make sure everything worked, drive it around. Um, A lot of work was done, a lot. So I'm anticipating there are going to be some things I may have to get it in before I take a big trip. Um, So Friday, I'm thinking, all right, as soon as the show's over, I'm going to head that way. Shop called me and said, you're not going to believe what happened. They said, we were buttoning everything up. It's done. Paintwork, everything is done. And we realized one of your inverters had quit. And I said, I'm thinking, all right, throw an inverter in there, you know, 15 years old. He said, yeah, uh, but there's a problem. He said, we used to have a shop that would repair these inverters. And he said, they're just gone. Nobody repairs them anymore. Um, And I said, well, can't we get a new inverter? And he said, we can, but... It's not compatible with, there's two inverters and a management system. And he said the new style inverters aren't compatible, so you've got to buy two inverters and a new management system. So we can tack $8,000 onto the bill I already had going, which was significant. (laughs) These things are not inexpensive to own. Uh, But I I knew this was coming. It's, you know, 15 years old and it's got 200,000 miles on it, but... I'm glad that happened in the shop before I took off, because had it happened on the road, that would have been a nightmare. That's right. And have something else. Turnaround Transport in Liberty, Missouri. They're a dealer of ours, catalysts, remote tuning, and parts. They're cleaning up their yard and wanting to eliminate some of their used stuff. And they sent me some pictures. They haven't 05 Kenworth T600 with a C13A cert, and the engine's locked up. 
there, there's no prices, but just call Turnaround Transport. You can get their phone number either by calling us or going on to our dealer list on pittsburghpower.com. They have several 60 series Detroit's D-Deck 4 core engines. They have a 99 Freightliner roller and 99 International roller. He says roller. I wonder if that's a rolling truck with no drivetrain. Anyway, he also has, this is what I like, he has a 04 Pete 379 cab bunk equipped with the Vortox air filters sitting on a frame rail. The stacks, mirrors, everything's on it, except it looks like the engine was pushed through a piece of the firewall. And that's not a very hard thing to fix. So if anybody is looking for a 379 cab and bunk, all equipped, mirrors, stacks, mufflers, Vortox air filters. Oh, it looks like there's one Vortox air filter. You'd have to put one on it. Do a little fiberglass work to the firewall. Looks like a pretty nice cabin bunk. All right. Also, I'm working with a fella that uh, can't get fuel mileage out of a given truck, and it's 70 mile an hour. It's 18 pounds of boost, and regardless of what speed he goes, he can't get it under 12 pounds of boost. So um, it's got too small of a turbocharger on it, and I don't want to say much more about it right now, but uh, we'll get it figured out. You cannot get fuel mileage if you run an 18-pound turbo boost on the level. No, not on these these engines. No, we can't. And no, that just means where there's there's restrictions somewhere. There's drag. You know, all of those things will just increase the need for more boost. Exactly right. The feeling is you're always pushing on the throttle. Yeah. The truck never gets to run free. Yeah. Okay. That's me for today. All right. Real quick, I've got something uh, before we get to the other two. You know, Bruce, I I read a ton of articles about what's going on in autonomous trucking every day. I don't talk about it very often anymore. I gave my opinion early on. I I don't want to see this happen, but we can't ignore the fact that it is happening. Um, There's a lot of freight being moved around by autonomous trucks. There's a lot of testing going on. I don't talk about it a lot because it's, like I said, it's not, I don't want to see it happen. It's coming. We need to pay attention. But I did see something today. I I read a pretty in-depth report, and this doesn't surprise me. And it goes along with what you and I have talked about forever, uh, fuel economy and how much the driver impacts fuel economy. And over the years with better and better technology, the impact has gotten smaller, but it still exists. Um, there are some numbers out there. The number I've used is, is the driver could affect fuel economy by up to 30%. That, that's the number that's been floating around forever. Um, I've seen 40%. Yeah. I think that's pretty extreme. Here's what the real number may be with today's more modern engines and trucks. The autonomous trucks are improving fuel economy over drivers by 11%. And I expected that. And that's still a pretty significant number when you think about it. But I I think that's probably a good real-world average that some drivers are probably 
doing just as good as an autonomous truck could. The guys who are really, you know, pay attention to it, learn how to drive better. Um, we probably have some new drivers out there that are just horrible at this and are probably losing 20 or 25 percent. Um, the average being at 11 is big. I mean, if you think about it, the the average truck on the road is getting 6.6. If we add 11 percent to that, you're, you're in the mid fives or, or the mid sevens. I mean, that that's big. Uh, it's unfortunate we can't seem to do that by training drivers to drive better. I mean, we can. We're just it's just well, not happening on a big scale. You know, I just drove in from Maryland on Sunday, and my half-ton gasoline Ram pickup, and coming up I-70 out of Baltimore, there's there's some hills, and I always take it out of cruise in, but there's a lot of places that's just a slight increase. And and I try to run this thing at about 70 to 75 miles an hour. But on cruise, that puts it at 1,500 RPM, and that doesn't give you a lot out of a 360 cubic inch gas engine, a lot of pulling power. So it constantly upshifts, downshifts, right, right. on the rolling hills. But, it, but it's an eight-speed, so you hardly feel it, and it's really smooth. But I take the cruise off and I just rest my foot on it. And you get to know, you get to the feel where it's going to downshift. Just like whenever we all had carburetors, you knew how far you could push when you would be on the two barrel. And then before you brought the four barrel in, right? Right. That was real easy to feel. Well, I took the fuel mileage cruising between 70 and 75 from 17.1 up into as high as 23.1 by riding my foot on the, wow. the throttle. That's significant. I average was down at 22 miles a gallon, 22-something. I did touch 23.1 one time. And yet I was going down the hills at 80 and 85 and up the hills at 70, sometimes 75. But sometimes it would drop down to 68. That's okay. Right. I was going to go over the top end. And then sometimes I'd be in traffic. and uh, But look at the difference from 17 to 21, 22 on average. That's huge. By not being on the cruise control. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, this industry teaches new drivers to use the cruise control for fuel economy. And they fail to tell yeah. them that only works a small percentage of the time. That's exactly right. Yeah. Pennsylvania turnpike's the same way. Oh, yeah. yeah. I drive it with the foot, drive it with the foot, I get better, much better fuel mileage. And, and I'm not going any slower. I might be going faster. Right, right. Using the momentum on the downhills. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Richard Cohen's in here right now. He's a, He's been a client for many, many years. He it was a construction on Interstate 80 in Eastern PA, and right lane was closed. And he moves over into the left lane. He was bobtailing. And he always leaves a gap in front of him, and he has his dash cam on, and he's looking in his mirror, and here comes a, a Corvette up behind him about a 2005 or 2006. And it stopped about 40 feet back, and a pickup behind him stopped, and here came a FedEx truck over from the right lane to the left lane at about 65 mile an hour and never touched oh, the brakes. Oh, 
hit the pickup truck, which had a Detroit head in the back, and the head bounced up and smashed the windshield of the FedEx truck and pushed the pickup into the Corvette and the Corvette. And Richard saw it all happening, so he he pulled forward as much as he could, and he was actually going back out into the right lane. And he gave it just enough that it kept from decapitating the heads of the two people in the Corvette. But they did. The front of the Corvette went under his differential. So it's it's in here now when we're doing the MD alignment and checking everything and um, replacing some broken parts. Wow. So, you know, whenever you're going to be stopping on an interstate, always... And here, we're preaching to the choir here, right? Yeah. Always leave... uh, a gap and, and uh, yeah. yeah. If I'm on the motorcycle, I'm really watching them here. Oh, <laughs> Even yeah. the traffic lights, yeah. stop signs. And, yeah. and I know which way I'm going. If I see somebody coming, right. whether I'm going right or left. But, uh, hey, I, I got a question. These new barriers we're putting up on interstates with the cable. Why do they not put it in the center of the medium? Why do they keep it to one side? And the side they keep it to, they only give you about four feet, maybe five feet, if you go off the highway to recover. Have you noticed that? Yeah, that doesn't seem to make sense. I've even asked some state troopers, why are they doing this? And nobody can give me the answer. Some government bureaucracy somewhere had 17 meetings to decide this. Unbelievable. I yeah. mean, if you drift off the road or if you're, I mean, everyone drives truck, especially if they're pulling a van, they've been on ice where the whole, the wind just takes you yeah. and takes you right across the lanes. And you hope that that gravel on the side of the road isn't frozen. You know, when that used to happen quite a bit and it's really scary, I used to, um, for a long time, my run was from Akron, Ohio, down to Columbus and back, and I would do it at overnight, so it'd be two, three, four o'clock in the morning coming back, and there were times where if I was the last run of the night, I always had empties coming back. Um, there just was more freight going down than there was coming back, and that stretch of 71 um, through the fields there were just wide open, and you'd get ice on the road, and man, when you get pushed like that with a set of empty doubles, everything just goes in a different direction. It was no yep. fun at all. Had that yeah, happened so I wouldn't have sat in Kansas. 40 miles an hour in my Kenworth with the two trailers. And yeah. it took me from the right lane to the left lane off into the gravel. And wow, you yeah. look in the mirror and you see one trailer going it's, one way and yeah. one going the other. Yeah, not a good and, feeling. You know, my one was an RV and the second one was the garage <laughs> trailer. Right. So I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's hear from the other two, and then we got to get to some calls because they're piling up on us. Pete Leroy, good morning. Morning, Kevin. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. What, uh, Leroy? You wa- awake this morning? Uh, barely. There he is. All right. Good morning. Yeah, he's always awake. I know. <laughs> good morning. Even even when he's half asleep, he's more awake than most of us. Eyes wide shut as I like to say. Yeah. I, but I, I need to say this. He's awake, but he's not woke. Oh, that is true. That is true. What's on your mind uh, this morning? Yeah. Anybody, jump in. 
we got a lot going on in the shop. Um, shop's busy. We have a few engine diagnostic stuff. And back in the lab, we have a few ECMs to sort of tear apart and sort of see if we can make a, a, a cost-effective repair. Um, sometimes it's more cost-effective just to buy another ECM than it is to replace all the components or certain components in the ECM. Mainly because if we have to order them, they can be A, they're expensive, and B, you might not be able to get them for a week or two weeks or something like that. And that downtime really adds up. And then if we have four days in diagnosing it, another couple days into fixing it, it's better off just to get another ECM. But I mean, we're still happy to look at ECMs and see if we can repair them and whatnot. But we just always try to make the best, most cost-effective business smart decision we can for the customer. Uh, we got a couple of those and we got a wiring job in the back for an EGR temp sensor that goes off when he pressure washes the engine. And I think Pete, you've talked about sort of your disdain for pressure washing engines, right? That's pretty careful. Yeah. That's a big thing. Yeah. I, I personally probably, it's not that I don't recommend it, but I don't know if I ever would, or if I did, I would probably make sure the the engine was running and that was warm. That way, you could maybe evaporate some of the heat off and things. Fire the truck up right away afterwards. Yeah, and I really wouldn't take a pressure washer to it. Maybe a garden hose, but I would not pressure wash my engine, especially with all these electronics on it. If you keep it clean frequently, hit it with a can of gunk and a garden hose, and, and keep it clean, we don't need to power washer then. Yeah. Let me. Oh, you guys I, are going against my belief. I pressure wash my engines all the time. I, I have oh, really? A story I just about... use a garden hose. How much pressure washers can cost you? So in Florida, they have those screen enclosures over pools. Very common. It's like a giant screen room. Everything, the ceiling, everything is all just screen. And some of them are two stories tall. So I had one that was two stories tall. The top screens are, you know, 20 some feet up. So it would get, you know, kind of mildewy and dirty looking. So every spring I would pressure wash it and make it look nice. And trying to reach up to the ones at the top were pretty tough because it was really high. And trying to get on a ladder, the pool's there, so you can't really get under it. So they had one of these nozzles for the pressure washer that shot like just a straight stream of water. And it would go a pretty good distance with some force. So I'm like, well, I can use that to clean the rails up top. And I'm spraying them from down there and the dirt's coming off and i'm like well i got this figured out only took me about 20 minutes instead of two hours with the ladder and i walk away and the water's all dripping down and i come back later i tore every single screen up there just tore right (laughs) through them with all the water it cost me like four grand to have all those screens replaced yeah you got to be careful with the pressure water that was a stupid tax. I mean, I was 20, almost 20 feet below those things, and I was still tearing right through the screen with it. Yeah. Yeah, and then, like, it, it, the pressure washer can force water into to plugs that normally aren't designed to see that sort of... They're water-resistant. The, yeah, water-proof. they're waterproof, water-resistant to a certain degree. Maybe yeah. they're, you can stick them under six feet of water, but when you spray 2,200 PSI of water at it, they're not designed for that. Um, so then you can, that's how you can get water into connectors. I've, I've read on um, Detroit's website that says that uh, I, they speak, how do I want to say it? <laughs> I can't remember how they put it, but basically they're like, don't pressure wash the passenger side of your engine where your knock sensor is because if water hits the element, 
it cracks the sensor and then instantly ruins and knocks it. <laughs> oh boy. Because of the heating element. The heating element is like a ceramic. And then when you have cold water that touches it, it cracks. So uh, that's why I, another reason why I just say I don't really care for pressure washing engines. Probably good advice. But yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of all I got going on right now. What about you, Pete? Well, hold on. Before Pete starts, Leroy, I've got a question for you. Okay, I'm ready. So, obviously, if there used to be a company that repaired this inverter, they are repairable. Do you know anything about what you would do to repair an inverter? No. Darn. I was going to send it to you. I figured if I could save this one, it's time to just replace them all on the coach. So I'm not trying to save it for the coach. I'd rather just upgrade all those. But I was thinking if I could save this, I would take those two inverters and that management system and put it in my trailer and power that. Put some solar panels Mm. up on top of the trailer, throw those two inverters in there, a set of batteries. That'd be, uh, be like a portable power station. Yeah, no, that'd be sweet. But yeah, I've never worked on those. So it would take me a while to learn about it before I could work on it. Yeah. All right. That was a thought. Pete, what's on your mind today? I don't have a whole lot. Just going to break down what's going on in the in the shop. We have a okay. uh, 2013 Pete with an air dryer issue. It, it'll build air, but it's not going through, makes it to the air dryer and no further. So getting that replaced. I came in for some other issues, and that was one of those things that, yeah, we've got to leave, and now it's not building air. Um, we've got a Cascadia or a Century in there for an MD alignment. But an uh, ISEC that had some codes and getting brakes put on it. The NTCs are still here waiting for parts. Just got the cylinder heads in for the, the one to continue with that one. The, the first one is getting finished up today. And then a uh, International 2013 with an ISEC getting a French structure put on the front structure moves. They they we got a really little gasket in there. It's a, a metal gasket with just a thin piece of thin bead on it. And because it's holding up the engine and there's movement there, the front structure wears out, causes an oil leak. The shop's full. Good. More trucks than we got bays. We do have a couple uh D fifteens coming in for tunes, which is nice. We've been doing a pile of those lately. And uh we just did one the other day. It was a I felt like it turned out to be a pretty nice power curve on the dyno. Um, we set it to like a 550, 2050 at the flywheel. And just the way that the power band looked, it was very flat across a bigger portion than it came stock. So stock, it's a, it was a 455, but it made it at only one point on the graph. Um, so his, his peak pulling power was maybe 100 RPM wide. And we widened it to about 600 RPM wow. worth of just peak pulling power. That's a big change. Yeah, so it was a big change. And by the time we were done, we made more power at 1,150 RPM, made more horsepower 1,150 than he used to make peak. So we're like, with that new horsepower, you can run at a taller gear, which we know is more efficient, and then you don't have to downshift as much. So it's not like it's a powerhouse, but we're putting power in the right places to be able to stay in the more efficient gears. Nice. Got it. I like that. Yeah. All right. Well, no, we will, I didn't mean uh, to We will uh, get to some phone calls then because we've got people waiting. Let's get to it. Let's start in Texas. Wes, good morning. Morning. You guys were wondering about the cable barriers, why they're off-centered? Yes. I saw it on a documentary on, I believe it was the Discovery Channel. The reason they're off to one side is because when they put them in the middle, when a car departs the road, 
and it hits the bottom of the median, it dips, and it tends to go underneath the most cable instead of catching the cables. So if they put it off to one side, when the car comes off the road, the cables hit in the side of the car and keep it from crossing the center, the, the, the median. So if you put it down in, I say the car will go under it. Yep, the car, when it, when it leaves the highway and it goes down into that dip of the median, the suspension compresses and it tends to go underneath that lowest cable. They're, they're designed more for cars than trucks. Yeah, I hear they won't stop a, sem- a semi. No, they're, they're designed mostly for cars. But that's why they're off to one side or the other. Huh. You so wonder, okay, so let's, let's say the medium is uh, 60 feet wide. So each, each eastbound and westbound each have 30 feet. So why don't they put it not instead of down in the exact center, move it out two feet, but give you some room so that, my God, look how many people are texting going down the highway. You drift <laughs> off the road. <laughs> Or, or the new the new cars with the automatic steering, if they miss the white line or the yellow line, they'll drift off. And if I, you don't I catch have it, seen them. I have seen them on really wide medians in the center. That like this section of I forty I'm on right now. There's maybe twenty or twenty five feet in the median, and the cable barrier is only about six feet off the asphalt. I have another on idea. my side. I have another idea, Bruce. You brought up the people texting, and I, I, I get it. That drives me crazy. And um, I, I think instead we should build moats just off the, the roadway on both sides, and anybody texting and not paying attention should end up in the moat. <laughs> well, well, if I, you I made it three feet that. deep, they wouldn't drown. <laughs> exactly. I have a better idea yet, though. How about everybody pays attention and doesn't leave the road? Jeez, yeah, wouldn't that true. be nice? I know. <laughs> I like the new billboards are saying, what are they saying? Something and then leave your cell phone down or set your cell phone down? Or... Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I saw attention. one in Missouri the other day. It said, buckle up, phone down, don't speed. Yeah. That's a shame we have to create signs telling people to put their damn phone down while they're driving. Yes, it is. Okay. Anyways, that's all I had. You guys have a good day. All right. Thanks oh, okay. For the Thank you. Yes. You bet. Appreciate Bye. it. Let's go to Ohio. Bill, welcome. How y'all doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, this is Polly for um, Leroy. This, I'll be there. I'll be there Monday for my truck. Hey, I had a cold come. I had a light come up. An idiot light come up on my uh, truck, and then uh, the um, J Pro said it was an outlet knock sensor bad, but then I then I took the the code and I looked it up. It's SPN thirty two twenty five and it's FMI twenty, and I googled it and it came out to an air pressure actuator, and I was kind of dumbfounded, but I did replace the external. Uh, the outlet knock sensor, and I haven't had a problem since. What is this air actuator? Because I'm not really... I know it, it's supposed to, quote-unquote, more Google says, it, it kind of, like, cleans out your, your line once the regen system is done and complete. And you said this was a DD? No, no, it's an X-15. Okay, it's an X-15, and it has a 3225 for the yeah. purge air actuator. Yep. 
Yeah. So, but then you also said you had something going on with a, a knock sensor. Yeah. The it says the outlet knock sensor basically out of adjustment, but I replaced it, and I haven't had a light on since. Hmm. That's weird that you you replaced what something, but then the fall coach came up with something else. But yeah, I mean, basically what you were saying from what you read about the purge air actuator, about cleaning out the line, the the depth line uh, in between, mm-hmm. is pretty much what it's doing. So. Um, so what yeah. I'm going to do is I'll probably have you, once I come in on Monday, well, I'll be there earlier because I'm on my way there once I drop it off. Uh, I want you guys to really take a look at that because I was just like dumbfounded because I'm, I was just like, that don't make no sense. I replaced it and I haven't had a problem since. Yeah, well, that's that's a pretty weird one. But uh, you said it'll be here Monday? Yeah, I'll be there probably uh, Thursday, Friday because I'm getting a depth overhead, uh, the jet system cleaned overhead, uh, the um, crankshaft balancer and damper, and yes, I've been on the I've been on the catalyst since, since this truck was new, so it should be nice and easy. Yeah, you know it's. Uh, Are you going to be there, Bruce? No, I will not be here on Monday. Oh, okay. I'll well, be here. I guess I'll, meet I'll be here on Thursday and Friday if you're coming in. Oh, okay, good. I'll be there. I, I, I want to meet you guys. Okay. You guys, you guys uh, taught me a lot over the course of the years. Uh, I've been hearing you on Kevin's show. Well, you know, uh, that's the more you guys know, the easier our job is. Pete's always mm-hmm. said, and Pete always says, you can tell the people that went to Kevin's CMCs because they just have more knowledge, and it makes our life easier. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what. The catalyst has really made, the max mileage catalyst has really made our life easier, too, because we do not get bombarded with calls about emission systems. Mm-hmm. I mean, in 2003, when they started EGR, and then in 2008, oh, my gosh, you almost didn't want to do this work anymore because that's all the problems were now. Uh, because of Dr. Jane, those problems are eliminated. Not not fully eliminated. Every now and then there'll be a sensor or something. But mm-hmm. It just made our life so much easier here in, in this business. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I, all I that's all I wanted to know. I'll put it on a paper along with that uh, uh, estimate and have you guys take a look at it and a couple other things. But other than that, hope you all have a good day. All right. Have a great day, um, Bruce. I told you about the the. Um the wood stove with the catalyst in it. Yes. I figured out how it worked. I went and did a little research and it's pretty interesting what, what's happening there. So smoke, we can burn smoke. Smoke still has energy left in it. That's, you know, we've always said, if you're, if you're putting out a lot of smoke, there's, there's wasted heat and wasted energy. So smoke will burn, but it burns at about 1200 degrees. So there's no way we're going to get a fire hot enough in this box that's going to burn that. So that's why chimneys smoke so much. That's why they build up soot and creosote. You've got to get them cleaned out or you could have chimney fires. The idea behind this catalyst was to really cut down on that smoke and the soot. Um, The secondary benefit is you you get a lot more of the energy out of the wood. But the way it works is as the smoke is forced through this honeycomb of metal, the, the metal is the catalyst. So you force the smoke through this honeycomb and the smoke reacts with the, the metals that are in this, this catalyst. 
and it creates a, a chemical change. That's what a catalyst does. That's why it's different than just an additive. In this case, the chemical reaction that happens brings the burn point of the smoke down to around five or 600 degrees. And now that fire is hot enough to burn the smoke. So we get more heat out of that wood and we put less smoke up through the chimney. It's interesting. Isn't that crazy? And the Maximalis Catalyst does a similar thing. It makes it possible to burn the soot and carbon at a lower temperature. Right, right. That's, that's, a, that's what this catalyst is doing with wood smoke. We're recovering more energy by burning the smoke, but the only way we can burn the smoke is to reduce the temperature it burns at, and that's what the catalyst, that's mm. the chemical reaction that's happening. I know if you go and look at newer wood burners, some have that system in them and some don't. Right, right. That is, that is the like this particular oven is Italian soapstone and cast iron, and it has the catalyst, and it's like the most efficient stove on the market. It burns more of the wood, there's less smoke, and all that cast iron and soapstone holds all the heat really well. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're out with your chainsaw cutting wood, make sure that uh, you mix the max mileage catalyst in that chainsaw because it makes that chainsaw cut a whole lot faster. I do have a big steel chainsaw now, gas, that came with this, so I am going to put some catalyst. You know what I'm more excited about putting the catalyst mm-hmm. in? That Ford tractor. Yeah. That diesel tractor. All those old engines benefit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm starting to remember what it was like to start a mechanical diesel in cold temperatures, um, and it's not bringing back good memories. This thing is pretty tough starting, and it's not even all that cold yet. I think I'm going to uh, – I ordered a little um, magnetic block heater. Actually, a pretty good size, like 300 watt. You just stick it right on the side of the oil pan. Uh that should help a little bit. And I, I really think one of the first things I'm going to do, it's not really ready yet, but I think I'm going to change the oil and put maybe a synthetic blend in there. Make it a little easier starting. There you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Let's uh, continue with some calls. Let's go to Colorado. Dwight, welcome. Hey. Um, hey, guys. I have some serious transmission problems. Uh, my codes are coming up, says check the ECU on the transmission. And then, of course, since that's not working, it says check the ECM on the motor. Now, a little history. When I bought this truck, right off the bat, it's a 10-speed. Let's start with the transmission. It is a 10-speed. It's kind of an oddball. It's the Eaton Fuller Lightning Series, which... Just shifts a little bit different. And right off the bat, it rained and it quit going into high gear. It'd go in the low gears, but not high. Called the guy. Guy said, well, when it gets wet, you just got to keep silicone over the plug that's going into the ECU on the top of the transmission. I did that three years, no problem. Three years later, bouncing down the road, all grease, dirt. That plug is coming apart, so I, I really think that could be and probably is my problem. So my, I've got a multi-part question, 
if I get y'all or somebody to plug into this ECM, will it tell you what that transmission is doing or not doing? You said and, it's a 10-speed manual, right? Yes, sir. 10-speed manual. Why would the plugging in tell you what the transmission's doing? Well, you mean plugging into the to the to the ECM in the truck? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, I guess it doesn't. But yeah, I mean that that so manual uh, means there's no computer on it, so plugging into the ECM is not going to tell you anything. Okay. Well, how do you? How can you? That ECU on the transmission is bad. Well, wait, I thought you said it was a 10-speed manual. It is, but it has an ECU on it. I don't know what this ECU does, but coming out of the wiring harness, there's a plug. What year is this truck? It's a 2003 Eaton Fuller Lightning Series, which is a... Does this have a clutch, and do you have to move the shifter, or does it shift oh, yeah. itself? Oh yeah, no, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's a manual transmission. They, normally, a normal ten-speed, you would go through the bottom four, uh, five, flip a switch up, and go through your high gears. Right. But that's not the way this one works. It's called the Lightning Series. You go to first gear, and then there is a button on the side. That when you're ready to go to second, you let off the gas and you hit the button to high, and it goes to high. Now, when you want to go to third, you flip the button down and go up. Uh, and you do a, that every. It, hold on a second. I I have to admit I wasn't paying attention for a second. Are we talking about a Super Ten here? It, no, it's called the Lightning Series. That it's a Lightning. Is this that, That's what it is. That's what. Eaton Fuller Lightning Series. Doesn't the, this um, sound like a super now? Well, I, 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 all I can tell you is they call it Eaton Fuller in their website on their manual. They call it a Lightning Series. All right, Leroy, have we ever seen one of those? Have you ever heard of it? Hmm. Yeah, I think so. They're they're not really common. It kind of sounds no Eaton Top Two kind of thing. And the ECM can control some of that stuff. So, uh, it, especially if it's like a top two thing where it keeps you out of going into high gear. Um, right. It totally shuts me out of high gear. Yeah. What engine is attached to it again? It's attached to a uh, ISX. Yeah. So 2003 ISX. Yeah. We can see if so, it, how it's configured and then we can possibly test the output to make sure that it does shift. You might be able to hear it try to shift. Um, well, let, let me. Hey, hold hold now, on a second. Let guys. me go back. I don't know if this is going to help or not. It's interesting that when you talked about this transmission, I mentioned the Super Ten. Then Leroy, you mentioned the Top Two. I just found an article, and there's not a lot in yeah. here, but it it here's the headline: the difference between Eaton Lightning Top Two and Super Ten transmissions. So somebody's obviously compared all three of these, and it's funny that we thought well, about those two when you mentioned it. I can add to that. Top two, if you take this transmission, this Lightning Series, you can turn it into a top two, which is a automated transmission. Correct. So it auto, it, 
will only can shift go automatically between the top two gears, between ninth and tenth. Correct. A top two can shift those two automatically, and they that was the first version of an auto shift transmission. It would just and the reason they did that is because we spend about ninety percent of our time in those top two gears. Right, right. Now, when I plug in the number off my tag, it doesn't come up. It, well, it, it'll come up top two on the manual because the manual is the same. So bef- before we get too far off, I, I think I know what the problem is because the plug that goes in, the guy said silicone it up because moisture's getting in through that plug and when it gets moisture, because in that plug, there, there are 18 pins going into this connection that goes into the ECU on top of the transmission. There's 18 pins in that plug. That plug is disintegrating. So hey, I, I guess really, really, Leroy, do y'all build wiring harnesses? Uh, when they're here and we need to, yeah, we build them. We don't because, like build them, but okay. Because I'm this plug is disintegrating, uh, and I can't. I was gonna take it apart and clean it with uh, electric cleaner, uh, contact cleaner, but it's been silicone. Looks like somebody even at one point epoxied, but all of those eighteen wires are loose and wiggling around. And because I can, the first time this happened, I go up there and wiggle that, and it would start working. Well, now it's to a point that's not working anymore. Hey, Leroy. So these, so I need, to, but the OEM tells me they cannot get me this plug that I have to buy a complete wiring harness when all I need is a plug and a pigtail. Here's something. And hopefully, to, be able to splice it in. Here's something to think about, though that your plug is failing, probably because of age, the rest of the wiring harness probably won't be far behind. Why I think I would just replace the wiring harness and not have to deal with this again. Um, Leroy, this might help. I actually found some information on this. Here's what this thing is. It is the electronic version of the Super 10. It is a Super 10 transmission, same shift pattern. I thought it sounded familiar. Uh, it's just electronically controlled. The original Super 10 wasn't. It was just a fully manual transmission. But here's the explanation of what it's doing. Uh, it, it just says it has a low inertial main shaft with Super 10 shift pattern for easy shifting. The ECU manages range and splitter shifts for more precise shifts with reduced wear on the shift parts and the top two is an option. So that's what the ECU is doing. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't so it, it, yeah, it, I'm sure it, we can figure it out. Here, here's what it sounds like. The Super 10 was really different to shift. Like you, you pre-selected the gear, then as you used the clutch and went into neutral, it was, it was almost like going from high range to low range on every shift. That's how the transmission yes, worked. Yes, yes. And a lot of drivers weren't it very is. good at that, and it was hard on those yep. transmission parts, so they kind of 
automated that shift. Even though you're moving the shifter manually yourself, it's automating the shift and what's going on in there so it was easier on the parts. Hmm. The, um, my, hey, and I would get a wiring harness, um, you know, um, I would like, because I'm, this is my, uh, I'm trying not to get too deep in the weeds, but see with, but, but it's not only not, not letting me go into high gear, it's affecting everything. That's, that's my speedometer. That, that's why quits, I'm thinking working. don't, don't mess with the plug on a wiring harness. That's failing. Replace the whole harness. Well, and I, I would do that. Um, my my big deal is, uh, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I've got a dedicated run every week, and I, I, I'm the, trying everything I, I can. The more you know. I hear, the more I think. Don't mess around with something that's going to create another repair like this in a month. You've got a dedicated run. You the, uh, you, you need to be up. You can't afford downtime. Put a wiring harness in. There. I, I I agree. I agree, but. You know, I, I mean, I'm babysitting this thing so, right now. So hold on, it's, hold it's on. Been... I, I, you keep saying I would put a wiring harness in it, but, and then you never finish the thought. What is your reasoning for not just putting okay. a harness in? Uh, time, time. I just, you know, because I'm thinking sooner or later they're going to, they're going to cut back on this, this load, but. I mean, you know how it is, and this this load's paying paying over five fifty a mile, and you know I can't replace that. So it's easy. So I'm just so trying here, to nurse it until right. But here's the risk you're taking: you nurse it, you spend some money trying to get somebody to wire this again, and then it fails when you're under a load. Now you oh, I'm under a load right now. I, yeah. I know my mm-hmm. that's my point. You're you know, we have a weak point in the system. This plug is failing, it's causing problems. There is a complete new harness you can buy, and you could schedule that. You could say, Okay, the shop can get it done in three days, I'll or I can do it in three days, and I'll cover the load some other way. You have control if you choose to do it that way. If you choose to rewire it and then it fails under a load, now you're screwed. Okay. So uh, what would I have to do? Do I have to get to Pensa? Because I'm, I mean, I'm in Texas and of course my load goes to Denver. I'm in Denver every week. So do I got to come to Pittsburgh to get this wiring harness made up? Or Didn't you say they offered what, a wiring what is harness? It? The OEM makes a wiring no, harness. No, 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 not, not, I haven't had anybody be able to tell me that they can get it at this, at this time. No. Oh. They just you, told me, you, I, you, I need, um, no. Yeah. I thought you said, ECU, they told I me I get. would have to replace the entire harness, but you're saying it's not available. No, I might have said that. I, I, I have not found anybody that has got a wiring harness for this truck. And this transmission. Oh. So, but the ECU is available. Oh, they'll sell me that brand new. And I said, that's not my problem. I don't think. It's because it's when I can wiggle the wire and and everything start working, but I can't wiggle it anymore because I set a silicone it shut to keep the moisture out. So now nothing. What kind of truck is it? 
It's a Volvo, 2003 oh. Volvo. Oh, I'm sorry. But it's got an ISX. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if it was well, a Kenworth or Peterbilt, I'd tell you where to take it. But I, I can't hey, help you with hey, it. got that yeah. V in front of it. Well, uh, I, I know that, and I, I regret every day I, I bought it. But uh, So why don't, why don't you do this? Leroy, couldn't anybody in any electrical-type shop, if he took the harness out and he took it into them, they could. Uh, they wouldn't have the end, so. <clears throat> See, I bet the Eaton Fuller's website, nobody can tell me what this plug is. They can't get me a number. They can't get me anything. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they said Why don't yes, you just make I it simple? Them. Why don't you yank that out of there and put a 13-speed manual in it and forget about that computer? Well, okay, I would do that. So say I yank that transmission out. What am I going to do? Do I need that same? Uh, do I need uh, how, what's going to plug into that transmission? Nothing. It's going to be a There'll be no plug in the transmission. Electric. There's no plugging in. It's a manual. All you have to do is get, Leroy, could we do it through a remote tuner? Reprogram as ECM so that it's not looking for that module on that transmission yeah as long as we can reprogram it as long as he figures out mechanically how we can get it to shift and split through all the gears yeah that's that's the no, no. now if you put a manual 13 speed in he's going to shift it with a clutch on his hand if he replaces the whole transmission yeah that's yeah. five things just get that get rid of that 10 speed put a 13 in it you'll love it and then your problems are solved oh I, well i agree you know, because right now, through this, you know, because somehow my, um, I don't know, in that here, third here, speed. Here, here's is, what I want you to do. Next time, when will you be in Denver? <laughs> well, well, I'm here. Uh, I'm here every uh, every Tuesday morning. I'm okay. right now. All right. You go up 76, get off on the frontage road and go into LKQ Western Truck Parts. And they'll have the transmission for you, and they'll tell you who could put it in. And we'll get you to one of our remote tuners then, and we'll set up the ECM, and your problem solved. Okay. So that when we put that transmission in, you can probably get that so yeah. that my speedometer, tachometer, and, and Absolutely. all that's working. Here, are you driving right now? No, sir. Write down their phone number. You got a pen? Got it. I'm ready. 303. Two eight nine three three one three. Give them a call right now. We got to get on to some more calls. Give them a call right now and tell them you want a thirteen double over, and ask if they can put it in. If they can't put it in, ask them to refer you to somebody who can. Okay. Thirteen double over. Appreciate it. But they're good people there, and they'll have the transmission for you. Thank you. Bye bye. You're welcome. Bye bye. Right. Let's go to. South Carolina. Sean, welcome. Hey, Kevin, this is Sean. I called yesterday that had the T660 and the 379. Yeah. You wanted me to call back today when Bruce and everybody was there. Yeah, so um, let me, let hey, me give I, a I re-listened last night. Well, can I, I just want to set, I don't feel like I did a good job explaining okay. why I ended up with yeah, clarify. the two-truck situation. I, you know, I, I was saying spare, as in, like, I didn't buy it to be a spare. I kind of bought it because it was a local truck. I knew somebody who knew the owner. I was able to go look at it. 
I really bought it as a transition to be able to get rid of that 379. Got it. But that's the 379 is the truck. It's the truck I know. It's the truck I have confidence in. It's a very nice truck. You know, it's, yeah, I, I, I know, I remember you made the comment, you know, survey about, well, could I even get my money back or for what I owe on it? I mean, this is, I know you don't like it because it's not an efficient truck, but it, it, it's still a truck that would bring a hundred thousand dollars today. What? So come on, the intent, come on. A why? One, oh, they come, do. A, a 1.3 million. You can mile? eat off the frame rails of this thing. Okay. Then, then man, you should get off the phone and sell that thing right now. Oh, Kevin, get a, a lot of them are going for, for that to do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. If it's, if well, it's right. a real clean, straight up truck and good maintenance records and uh, low miles on a rebuild, it'll bring a hundred. Well, at least it has low miles on the engine total. The, it's an, the engine was re, the original engine was replaced. This engine doesn't even have a hundred. It just has a hundred thousand miles on it. It's the 18 speed that's so, in. It's got two more years of eaten warranty on it. I mean, it's so here's not the plan. It's not a turd, you know. What engine is it? It's actually a JRE prefix, but I mean, it's been put in the truck. It's a cat or running. Yeah, it's it's a cat. It's got six, you know, six and a quarter compounds on it. uh, 70 pin ECM now. So you're saying it's an A cert? Yes. I don't know. I don't know that first three letters. Jay, what did you say? It's a JRE. It's a industrial prefix. Oh, okay. So it was repurposed and put in the truck. All right. So I have a, um, I but anyway, have, I have that, the perfect plan. I, so I, sure, go ahead. I, I, okay. I, I'm assuming you don't have some kind of emotional attachment to this truck, and your question is how do you become more profitable? Is that what we're talking about? So I want to make sure I'm... Well, yeah. Yeah, so the the six the six sixty is a truck I bought to just kind of get myself out of that. Like I, right. I can't afford downtime. The freight I haul isn't. I'm not affected by things that are going on. It's not dry van, reefer, flat. It has nothing to do with any of that. I don't deal with brokers like zero at all whatsoever. I, 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 all I, my I, I billing is to customer direct. Like the revenue hold, is hold, not a hold thing on, hold on. with it that, all. Hold on. Yesterday I wanted to know more about your freight and you don't want to tell me what it is for some reason. So let, let's not even, if you can't well, give I just, me. No, I'm not really wanting to get into I, discussing I, that part of it. I know. So if you can't give me those details, I just have to work without them. It would be better if I knew. And here's what I can okay. tell you. I, I'm hearing that you might believe that your segment won't be affected by a downturn. And I would counsel you to not. No, think I'm that not way. saying that. I don't care how unique no, your and segment I don't want to. is. Other people with trucks can go do what you're doing. Well, and again, why I don't really want to discuss what which, it is that is, I'm doing. Which is fine. I, I so do I, want I just, to get to the point I, where I'm spending less money and keeping okay. more hey, okay. so that I can handle uh, hey, Kevin. a slow yeah. time. Kevin, you asked him to call when we were on, so I'd like right. to hear what, he, what he wants to do. He wants to eventually get rid of the 379 well, and run the my... T660. What engine's in the T660? What year is it? Hold on, Bruce. Let me set it up. That's right. Try and do what I was getting to. So here's the plan. If, if you okay. want to be more profitable, we don't have some emotional attachment to this 379, sell that thing in a heartbeat. You're going to take all that extra money over what you owe on it, and we're going to get 
the 660 into Pittsburgh Power, and all at once, because you've got the cash, I would do everything I could to get fuel mileage out of that truck. We're going to talk about it now. Here, here's part of the problem, Bruce. He bought the newer truck, but it's only getting 6.3 miles to the gallon. The 379 is 5.3. So let's see if this thing is salvageable. I'd like to, to be able to get like eight or eight and a half out of this thing if we could. So let's go through the specs and figure out what we can do. Okay, so the 660 is a 2014 CM2350. Mm-hmm. Got a 10-speed ultra shift, 325 rears, uh, low pro 22.5 tires. I put the tires on it that are on now. They're just a they're a straight tread Toyo, uh, and that's that's basically it. Um, Do I remember correctly that you are typically around sixty thousand pounds? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And 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 what? Yeah. With that truck, I don't even have. I have it registered at sixty-five thousand. What? What kind of? Uh, A lot of East Coast. uh, I I ninety-five pretty much. I mean, most of the you know some Eastern Pennsylvania, New York. Okay. um, You know some of the New England states. I'm a little curious. There there is some up and down East Tennessee. How fast do you drive? Most of the time. The speed limit. 70, you know, whatever the speed limit is. Is that necessary? Uh, most of what I'm hauling is time. Well, be, yes, because of when I'm okay. loaded, it's a time sensitive issue. Yeah, and that's fine. So I, 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 don't, I get that. I, when I'm empty like... and going back and forth between loads, I drive, I'll drive it a little slower. Okay. So it, it, Whenever you're, uh, when you're running at 70, what's your RPM and what's your boost on the level? Uh, the truck doesn't have a boost gauge at this point. Well, the so I couldn't tell you that on the boost. Um, yeah. It's 14 and a quarter at 70. Okay. Well, that's okay. I, I'm a little shocked. And the engine is set at what horsepower? The fuel economy is it's as low as it is. It's a 450 ST. It's a 450. Normally on those, we add 100 horsepower and 300 foot-pound of torque. Fuel mileage comes up. Put the boost gauge in it. What kind of mufflers on it? Uh, I yep. mean, just the factory. Uh, that, that up the side, up the back, underneath. Oh yeah, it's our. It's got dual stacks up the okay. back of the seat. Put our quiet performance mufflers on. That'll give you a half a mile. Driving with the boost gauge will give you another half mile to a mile. The tune will give you another hey, quarter Bruce, to a half. Would that be a catalytic converter on there? No. No, it's DPS. No, yeah, DPS. Oh, 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 that's right. I'm yeah. sorry. I missed that. I did too. Son of a gun. I'm thinking like 2003, 2004. That's what I was thinking too, right? No, no, 14. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, let's let's clean the DPF. And uh, are you running the max mileage catalyst in it now? Uh, no, I'm not. Okay. When? You need to start. You need to start that and get that so it'll start cleaning out the engine. And I don't see why you can't get that up to eight miles to the gallon. You know what I'm wondering? Has the charger cooler been tested? Uh, we tested it at a buddy of mine's shop. We, he's got the, you know, probably not like Pittsburgh Power would do, but he's got the kit with the, uh, you know, the deals you plug into the you know, intake pipe tubing and all that and pressure gauge and everything. And we, we yeah. tested it that way. You know, that helps to know the charger cooler's holding. On the A-cert, you do have that leak in between. Sometimes it's pretty common. It, the reason I'm asking is this truck does not sound like it's getting the fuel economy it should be getting. 
I'm wondering why it's only getting 6.3. Your specs aren't that bad. The weight's fairly light. This, 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 we should be in the mid-sevens before we even do anything. I'm wondering why we're not. Are, are you on I-95 on Saturday and Sunday with the beach traffic? Uh, unfortunately, once in a while. Okay. Because, Kevin, that's, I mean, I've sat in that from Washington, oh, yeah, D.C. to Richmond. Oof. It's 128 miles, and you are stopped that would be on bad. a Saturday morning. Yikes. So. Yeah, just it, it's well, and it's you know it'll get it, it's. I've had it get seven, and then about the time I'm like, oh, okay, that's nice. But then you know the very next tank, without me feeling like I did right. much different, it's like well, six two or six one, and you know, like I did it. I filled it up yesterday after the phone call, and it was six point three five. And are you, know, you are you using cruise? Uh, a little bit. I'm not typically a person that drives off cruise a lot. Um, okay. I, like I was telling Kevin yesterday, part of the reason of two of moving into this is I have to use a co-driver sometimes. And so that's kind of the reason I moved to an auto ship truck because it's just taking co-drivers in the 379 with an 18 speed and it just, it, yeah. it gets to be a hassle. Why don't you so call I'm me after the show and you and I'll come up, call me after the show and you and I'll come up with a game plan. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that that sounds good. But can yeah, you get Kevin, the truck? Thank can you. you get the truck here? Uh, I probably could. I generally don't go much further west than Harrisburg on anything that I do. But no, uh, then so now you're only two and a half hours away. But, yeah. No, and that's not a big deal. I mean, I've yeah. done worse for less. So. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's get you in here and and uh, clean the DPF and clean out the system and the engineers will go through your whole emission system and get you on the catalyst. You should get on the catalyst right now to start getting things cleaned up. And let's, yeah, I, um, let's do the overhead okay. and uh, and look at the rest of it and, and do the tune on it and uh, get a boost gauge in it. And I think you'll be set. You'll be happy. Yeah, and we ran, that's another thing, we did an overhead on it like Okay. Six weeks ago, probably because I had to. It had a broken exhaust uh, manifold stud when I bought it. You know, so we I got it up there. Finally, we took it. I mean, I physically the one who took it all off. Um, you know, stood on the tire and watched him run the overhead. So, I mean, I know Any reason why you didn't put one of our manifolds on it. Uh, it just wasn't time, more or less. It was okay. just kind of a get in the shop yeah. and get. I didn't have you know, time to sit there and order it. And I just, he's out of state from where I live. It's kind of where I used to live. So I just, if I can get by there to do something, I do. Sure. I don't have a lot of faith in places directly around me, unfortunately, anymore. Okay. Uh, All right. If you travel um, I-95, I can meet you next week and uh, we can do the tune on it. Yeah, my next trip down 95 will be actually where I've left the truck right now, so I won't be. Uh, it'll I won't be as, only in North Carolina, so I'll be running back south from there. Uh, and I'm not sure yet when my next trip, you know, up, back up that direction will be. But okay. there's probably a good chance I'd be around Harrisburg toward the end of the month, maybe. Okay. Or at least where I could get through there, I guess. Yeah. Why don't you so, call our parts department as soon as you hang up? order the boost gauge and order some catalysts or stop at the, the Kenley 95 truck stop and pick up the max mileage catalyst and let's get started. Okay. 
Yeah, that sounds and you, good. And and part okay. of the when I started this conversation yesterday was just the debate of keeping this truck, you know, after it's all paid off and the other one's gone or moving on to something a little newer and better. And that that's kind of where the what I started with as a question as far as efficiency. And then we kind of went down this. Well, uh, you know, yeah, well, taking a beating over the fuel mileage and all that. And well, I'll give you trucks a, and everything. Else. I'll give you an opinion on that, too, because I have which one. I deserve. So. Um, <laughs> I, I do have one now that I understand where you are a little better financially. I understand what you could potentially mm. get out of that 379. I would put both of these trucks on the market and I would buy something newer that was spec really well. OK. I, I, well, and that and that goes to where why I haven't sunk a ton of money into this 660 right now because I don't know that it's so I, I, either it's a truck I'm not going to get a lot of money back for to sell, so I don't want to be careful right. with how much I put into it right this minute. I, I'm always a little worried. I mean, you're not going to go wrong if you keep the 660 and work on the fuel economy. I, I but I'm always a little worried when a truck is starting you know, much lower than what I would expect it to be. And we haven't identified why yet. We don't know why this truck mm-hmm. is getting low sixes, but something's wrong. Well. And I, 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 I would worry that I might just have one of those trucks that just isn't going to be right no matter. Now, if we could look at it, go, look, the charger cooler's completely blown out. We're losing a half mile per gallon there. Um, if we, it's got, you know, 150 rolling resistant tires on it, we're losing three or four tenths there. If we could do that, then I know we could fix it, but I'm still concerned that we don't know why the fuel economy is so low. We could figure that out within a couple hours of being here. I I'd give them a shot. If they, if we really think this is going to be an eight, even eight, if we could get it to eight, I'd be happy. Um, keeps you really safe. Fuel prices mm-hmm. are going up. I don't see them coming down anytime soon. So fuel should be a concern. Um, it should always be a concern. So I, I'd give it a shot. Take a look at it. See if we can figure out, you know, what's wrong. Could we get it to eight? If so, it's probably worth more to you than it is selling it. But you're also in good enough financial shape. You've got good paying freight. You've got cash that's going to be coming in from that other truck. We could upgrade to, say, a, a really well-spec 2017, 2018, and that might make a lot of sense, too. Now we could be talking about nine miles. To right. Right. And that's where, like, say, a year and a half, two years ago, when I didn't want to be with the truck I have now, but all these 18 and 19 model trucks were, you know, well north of $100,000 oh, right. 500,000 miles on yeah, them because was, of the economy. And I didn't want yeah, that to, was I didn't want to buy a truck like that where I knew, you know, re- relatively nothing about it. And I knew in a year or two, it would be worth half where if I had the one I have now, it's still worth something, you know, no even doubt. though it's cost right. me a lot in fuel, it's right. still worth something. No, I agree. So there, there was that's a, kind two, of why I stayed. And then there were two years there. I was telling you know, everybody do not buy a truck unless it's your only option. Those prices were just stupid. Yeah, right. And then so the 660 I bought, you know, two years ago was probably a 60 or $70,000 truck. And it was clean. I could see it right there, right where I lived. It was drove nice. It, it, you know, it looks nice for what it is. It's, uh, you know, the, somewhat low mileage for the year. Um, the, the you know, and thing it, you it was $35,000, you know. Yeah, the, the price was right based on everything else. The, the only thing is you could have known 
prior to buying it, it was getting such lousy fuel economy. Right. And the man I bought it from, he pulled a different setup, way very small trailer with it. Uh, you know, he was he was probably doing, you know, better. Of course, you know, I, probably not the type of person that really knew. He was believing the computer and things like that, you know. So I had no way of knowing until I got well, it, kind of got it squared away and then put it into my operation. So. Yeah, well, the good news is there Why you, you've got two options here that would both work. So explore them both. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's kind of what I what started me calling, you know, yesterday. Yeah. Uh, listening to you know the the calls and Joel and everybody else, it's uh, you know, I, I just want something that's going to be going to be solid and you know get get good fuel economy, and I can come home and park it and walk away from it, and you know not spend my time with my family, not right. tinkering with trucks all the time. That that's leaning more and more towards um, something new, spec'd properly, newer, not brand new. But something new or respect properly. Right, right. Okay. Well, and I'll be sure to give you a call, Bruce. I'd love- oh, all right. I, that- give me a call and we'll uh, go. Perfect. I know he's in good hands. Let's go to Ontario. Ryan, welcome to the program. Good morning. What can we help you with today? Oh. Ryan, are you there? Oh, can you hear me now? We we can hear you. You there? Oh, good. Yep, here. Okay. Uh, congratulations on your uh, new farm. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to head out there today. Um, I've been, to I've, oh, good for you. I, it's fun becoming a steward of the land. I've been doing it 22 years, and it's, uh, it's a good feeling when you see what you can produce and how you can improve it over time. That that you know that that's um, that's a big part of why we bought this. The interesting thing is there's not a whole lot to improve uh, the 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 soil everything there is incredible they've done just such an amazing job with this property that um the only thing i would have to do if i wanted to is expand into more growing area but what they have there is is really really incredible so I, i'm excited about it and, and you're right it is a good feeling to just uh to take care of that and keep it going i, I guess we're looking at an oil yeah, sample it's, uh, it's important yeah, I sent uh, okay, so, an oil sample in here. I've got, a- uh, I've got a little bit of an issue. In all the years that I've been reading oil samples, God, 20-some years now, um, tens of thousands of them, I could count on one hand how many of them were in hours instead of miles. Yours are in hours. Right. And that is... Yeah. It- it's difficult for me. My brain doesn't work this way. I don't know... Is, so one of the things I have noticed that two things pop up, your wear metals have all gone up pretty significantly, but you also ran this sample significantly longer than any other sample. So when I look at your history, you, you have a sample back there at 350 hours, then 405 hours, then 645 hours, and then we jump to 953 that that's a big and change. I think I'm on the same issue, and I think I'm on the same issue as the caller last week. I think I'm filling it out wrong because that would be there's 953 hours on the oil, but there's only 350 hours on the sample. Okay. So the oil's been in the truck for two years and has a total of 950 hours on it, but it was sampled. Okay. With 650 so, hours on the oil, 
slowly, you know, where metals will continue to go up. So we we look at it differently. If if this was you know what a normal interval with the oil, we I would be worried. Um, lead and copper both went up. Uh, aluminum went up. Uh, iron went up. But again, those those will build up over time. So now that I know, I'm not concerned about it. Your silicon's at seven. Nothing to worry about there. Your viscosity is good. There's no fuel dilution. There's no soot to speak of. Uh, your base is holding up. So I I think this is another good sample. Nothing to worry about here. Yeah, it seemed pretty similar to the color you had last week. And then I don't have bypass filtration either. And I've been just changing the full flow filter on the recommended interval of the, of the engine manufacturer. Like every it's- three, 400 hours. Yeah, it's working for you. This is a good sample, even out at this far, two years still in the uh, the unit, and the oil looks great. And you would run it again to yeah. another interval and yeah. see what it, it... There's no reason not to. There's nothing physically wrong with this oil that could hurt anything. Okay, perfect. I And um, it's the similar with my equipment fleet on the farm. It's, it's, I do the time because I don't drive a lot of miles per se but the time adds up on the fleet no that makes sense uh, anyway that that's that's good good news okay great and a little quick piece of advice for your ford yeah i have a little massey that's very similar to that it's a little indirect injected diesel and i switch it to 10w30 in the cold months and it makes a huge difference on cold start so how old is yours those little idi mine's a Mine's a 77, 1977 is how it was built. So the one thing, I, does it consume a lot of oil? Um, yeah, it, it, it likes oil, and I use it like a rented scooter. I run it pretty hard. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and, uh, of course, it, it's, uh, it's naturally aspirated, indirect injected, so it likes high RPM to start in the right, cold. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a consumer. It probably uses... It's got 7,000 hours on the engine, original engine now, and it probably uses, I don't know, a liter every 100 hours or something. I'm kind of expecting that this thing's going to use a lot of oil, and I was a little concerned about going to a lighter weight. But if I think about it, uh, so what if I put oil in it? Uh, Really, what's the big deal? I mean, it's not going to cost me that much. Um, I I may just do that. Well, I have a... Yeah, I would, and uh, I have a unique situation with mine. It has a, a timing, the power steering pump drives off the front cover, and it leaks in the, into the engine, so I've been just putting engine oil in the power steering, and it just keeps popping <laughs> up my consumption, and away we go. <laughs> there you go. And again, it's... I, I do about two. I do about two hundred acres, and the tractor gets probably four or five hundred hours a year. Wow! And okay. uh, for the oil it consumes, it's uh, you know it's kind of irrelevant I, in the in the you in know, the scope I, of the work the machine's doing. I, I may go with the ten thirty, or I may go with like a five forty or a zero forty synthetic. And like I said, I know it's going to burn more oil, but who cares? I mean, it's such a limited amount of use anyway. Yeah. It's not going to be a big deal. Yeah, and that's kind of what goes through on most agricultural equipment is it's seasonal and it doesn't get huge hours. When right. it goes to work, it needs to, but it doesn't work long, long hours. So, yeah, yeah no, I like that. A bit, I it like doesn't that. add up. 
Yeah. It, it will it will significantly help your uh, starting issue. And like we always say, when it gets cold, you just got to tie the tractor to the barn with the extension cord. It'll go every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, that's why I say I bought a, you know, a little magnetic block heater. I'll just throw it on there. That's got to help. I'm right there by power, so it's not a big deal. I park it right next to an outlet. So I'll, I'll keep a battery tender. Yeah, and it'll... Yeah. It'll be a great little tractor. They work well. It seems to. I took it out, mowed the field with it, and it uh, seems to run great. And I think your engine architecture is where you'll notice the small horsepower from what they do, because those old ones were... I think they had a huge stroke because the block is deep, deep, deep in them, and they the work, the torque they produce is incredible for the size of the little buggers. Yeah, yeah, and you know, running the um, the mower on the back, I ran it at about twenty four hundred RPM, and it did great. At twenty five is the limit on the PTO. Yeah, and that is, I think my little mass is the same. Its PTO speed is like twenty two hundred or something, so it's. Yeah, it's up there. Yeah, yeah. Runs good, though. I like it. Yeah, awesome. I'm curious to hear about the Catalyst, because I haven't... Uh, I've got to go get some, because it's been on my plate. I've been listening to you guys for years, and uh, I'm, I've am i drank the Kool-Aid. I just haven't made the effort to go buy it and start running it in my fleet. Yeah. And I think it'll make a difference, because I'm, I'm a farmer, so I'm cheap, so all my used engine oil, when I do my drains, goes in my diesel fuel. There you so I go. think the catalyst will help keep burning that cleaner too. So I'll uh, I'll let you know. I think I'm going to do it soon. Sounds great. All right. Well, I'll let you on to somebody else. All right. Thanks for the call. I don't really have anything to do with the tractor right now, but I might put some catalyst in it and just drive it around for the fun of it. See what happens. Let's uh, let's go to Texas, and I'll let you know this is our last call on the board. If you want to jump in, we're here. If not, I'll we'll wrap this up today. 855-950-3835. Hey, hey, Paul, I didn't summon you yet. What are you talking about? That's all right. I was just putting my two cents worth in anyway. You you were. You heard the Howdy. beep. Howdy. Good morning. Yeah. <laughs> What's yeah. on your mind today? So the depth of the lake matters if your snowmobile has to be recovered from the bottom of it. I guess so. I guess so. That would make yeah, a, yeah that would make a difference. But that's what insurance is for. I, yeah, do you but, know guys that do water crossing will have about a hundred foot of line or rope on a bottle or a ball and when the sled goes down the ball floats and they just follow the rope down to get the sled. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> At least you know where it is. I haven't, in my 30 years of riding, I I haven't tried water crossing, and I don't have a lot of plans to, so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, my my bookkeeper, she lives up there out in Lake Michigan, and I think it was a couple of winters ago, uh, two guys in their razors, they... Fell, fell through the ice and cost them like 15 grand to recover those uh, razors off the bottom of the lake. Yeah. and that, But they, they did go. It was marked not to go in the area that they went and it too thin where the river comes in and it, they sunk to the bottom. So, yeah, life was a learning curve for some. But the guy that called yesterday with the two trucks, the Peterbilt 379 and the T660, an observation I made today, 
I'm not trying to beat up on him, but maybe his driving skill is something to do with it because 5.3 in the 379 is way less than is capable and 6.6 or whatever. Three. So he's a mile per gallon different by getting in the aerodynamic truck. Well, you always say, Kevin, the yeah. a mile per gallon <laughs> is the difference between the aerodynamic truck <laughs> yeah, and the classic right. truck. So You're right. Yeah, so maybe he needs to improve on his driving style or maybe he just has two trucks that need selling or serious work. But, yeah, yeah, something to think about. Um, Leroy, is your email, is it Leroy at Pittsburgh Power? It is. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to send you a video of what happened to my engine last week. I managed to get a video of it. it I did send it to Eric. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but I'll send it to you because I'll be up there next week. So it'll be something for you to troubleshoot. It's done it about three or four times, but it sounds like the, it's starving for air or, or it's turned off, and it, but it keeps running. It's kind of funky, but yeah. The, okay. Yeah. I'll be happy to look at it. Yeah, I'll send it to you. So that's all I got. All right. Sounds like a plan. Looks like that's, uh, that's all we've got for the day. Anything uh, anybody wants to close with? You know, every time somebody has fuel mileage issues, but yet hasn't checked anything, especially on an emissions engine, there's a lot that can be done. And by driving without that boost gauge, yeah. Um, can cost you a lot of fuel. I mean, look and, what I just did in this pickup truck. You know, right. went up four or five miles to the gallon by driving with my foot and keeping him well, from downshifting. And there's no boost gauge. I mean, it's a normally aspirated gasoline engine. But still. But, uh, yeah, and, and so there's a lot that can be done with that T660 and, and any truck. And if we think about it, Bruce, he, his area is one of those areas where you would almost never use the cruise. Yeah, I-95 is can be, especially from Richmond north to Maryland, I mean, that's yeah, that's, 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 that's not so good. No, uh, you, you would not want to be on a ton the of cruise traffic. Cruise. Right. And it's a ton of traffic right through there. You know, that I once heard that between Boston... Massachusetts and Richmond, Virginia, 60% of the population lives. Yeah, that's probably right. So think about when you're on those interstates. I mean, it's not a nice, relaxing drive. No, it's not. So I, I, I'm confident so. now that you guys will take care of him. We're, we've got the right people involved and take a look at this truck. Think mm -hmm. if it's worth saving. There's plenty of things we could look at. And if not, spec him something else but uh like i said I, I i think we've got a much better plan than we had yesterday so i'm glad he called back yeah and you know i i can say that carl kellner used to get 8.3 out of his 379 i know, at I know. kevin but, rutherford speed of 58 but bruce i always have mm -hmm. to throw in there because I, I that was so impressive the way he built and drove that truck and got that kind of fuel mileage out of that that was crazy and i love that story but I can't hesitate to always say, had he had an aerodynamic body on the exact same truck, it would be 9.3. Yeah. But 
I know he get it, and I you love know, that. You gotta you gotta drive what you what like, you right? Like. As uh, long as you why, can that's afford why. it, and he can, and he did get killer fuel economy out of it. So I'm all for that. I mean, people buy Jeeps because it's a Jeep. People buy Harley Davidsons because it's a Harley Davidson. I get it. And I get it. I just, you know? I, I, Ed, you know me. The, the difference for me is make even better decisions on the business side of things. And then you could probably buy two Harleys and two Jeeps if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Um, great stuff today. Thank you guys. As always, we'll let you get back to your busy day and we'll do it again next week. Uh, we'll see you back here tomorrow for destination health. I think we've got a pretty normal week going on. Um, I may, uh, I'm waiting on a couple pieces of equipment and I need to get over to the farm and install some things. And I might be able to do the show from over there soon. So we're not going to be moving in. anytime soon. you, you had said nobody sells a truck that's perfect, and yet you said your land is pretty perfect. Why do these people sell the farm? Yeah, that's a good question. It was one of my first questions. And they have lived there for 50 years. They raised all their kids there, and it's a lot to handle. They were hoping the kids would take over at some point. Um, it just didn't work out. They have three kids that are still here in this area. Um, it just didn't work out for them to, to buy the property. And they are they moved back to Coeur d'Alene, which is where they're from, and they're downsizing. It's, it's just retirement, really. The, the property's a lot to, yeah. to manage, which is why it's, it's why I'm buying it. It's why we bought it, um, because I want that activity. I don't want to go into retirement and slow down and do less. I want this property because it keeps me busy. How far from your home is it? Uh, by the way the crow flies, about 15 miles. It's about a 30-minute drive. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, okay. It's, is it level? It's very level. Yeah. that's So two big okay. things that, well, there's a lot that makes it better than what I have right now. One, it's very level. All six acres of it is, is level. You've got a stream running through it. There's no wind at all. And the wind here, I, I never realized how how much of a challenge the wind would be, not just in gardening, but just everyday stuff. Spending more time outside, eating outside can be a challenge in, you know, 30 mile an hour winds all the time. So the the nice thing here is I'm completely out of this gorge wind, but I'm only 15 minutes away from putting my foil in the water with all the wind I want. Will you eventually sell this current home? No. No, that's not the the plan is to to run this as a bed and breakfast or vacation rental. Yeah. Yeah, this this okay. this property is worth way more to me as an income property than it would be to sell it. Mhm. This will bring okay. in a, a, this will bring in in 3 months. The the summer months it'll bring in enough money to more than cover all the expenses on the property for the year and have some profit. How much of that six acres is garden? Um, actually, there's two gardens there now. Um, and the garden space itself is actually less than what I currently have. I, I've got more gardens. Wow. Yeah, I've got, but I bought a whole lot next to me and turned the whole thing into a garden. Plus, I did half of right. 
my backyard. So I've probably got about 30% more plantable garden right now than what is over there. But what they've got is really efficient. I mean, it's laid out well, it's irrigated well, the soil's incredible. I can grow way more than what I need in the space that's over there. And, and I've got about four and a half acres of cleared level land that I could plant on if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, well, I am going to... Good luck. Yeah. Congratulations. Gonna, and- thank you. Thank you. We're, uh, it'll probably be a couple months before we're actually moved in and living in there. We're going to do some, uh, we're going to build a new master suite. It, it, we really need a little more space over there. So it'll be a little while, but I want to get it set up so that I can at least work from over there. And I could go over there, work, then work on the property. And if I had to spend the night, but it's going to be a while before we move in. Yeah. So when you say move in, you're going to have it so you can live in both places. No, we we will be living in both places for a while, kind of a transition. At some point, I want to be permanently moved in there and running this as a vacation rental. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And the one option I always have, too, even when this is a vacation rental, I can just pull the coach in the driveway and hook up. I can stay in the coach yeah. here if I wanted. Mm-hmm. How big's your garage on the farm? Um, it's a good size two car, but that that and it's actually detached from the house, but fairly close. And the garage and the back of it sits right on the creek. I mean, there's a deck on the back of the garage that the creek runs under. So we're going to turn that garage into the new master suite. Do you have a barn? Yeah, we have a barn. It's really not set up to be able to work on vehicles over there. It's in the very back of the property. It wouldn't be easy to get vehicles to. And the barn's all spoken for. So it's got a wood shop in there now. It's got a workshop for me to be able to do all the property stuff I need. And then the rest of the barn is probably going to be converted to... um, Lisa's craft room. The wood shop will stay. So the plan is convert the current garage to the master suite and build a new garage. So we're going to be building a new garage on the property. I'll make it big enough to get the coach in. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Life is projects, right? From one project to the next. This is a big one. Yeah, it is. But uh, I'm excited about it. Should be fun. Good. And I never thought I was okay, gonna, sir. I never thought I was going to like chickens so much. Was there chickens on the farm? Yeah, came with nine chickens. Okay, so well, that's okay. Yeah, I'm eating a lot of eggs these days. Crazy, nine chickens. I, I no. get seven or eight eggs every day. And are you going to eat any of the chickens or no. raise chickens to eat? Now, no, we're, we wouldn't eat any of these chickens. I've already named them. They're becoming pets. So, yeah, I don't want to mm. eat these. Now, I did talk to, to Joel Salatin. He's a guest on our show all the time on the health show. And Joel is like the grandfather of regenerative farming. He's got a beautiful farm in the, uh, I think it's the Shenandoah Valley. Um, just a gorgeous place. And he teaches regenerative farming all over the world. And we have him on the show. And I was telling him about the property. He just wrote a book about this. Um, he wrote a book called Homestead Tsunami 
about how in the last year so many people have chosen to do this, to move out of the cities and out of the suburbs and go get a piece of property out in the country. And um, we, in three years, we added 1 million backyard flocks of chickens. Can you believe that? Well, after COVID and the egg shortages and the prices going up and people worried about food supplies, people are, are making moves like this. And a million mm-hmm. families or a million people in the last three years have, have started backyard chicken flocks. That's a lot of eggs. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes. All right, sir. All right. We will. Uh, oh, I know what I was going to say. He ran through the numbers. I, this was really interesting because I told him I have four and a half acres not doing a whole lot. And I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do with that. And he said, well, let me give you one idea. And he ran through the numbers. He said you could raise. Now, these would be fryer chickens. Fryer chickens are kind of the smallest eating chicken. Um, he said you could raise. 600 fly or fryers on each acre. So you'd have 2,400 fryers at a time, 2,400 chickens at a time. And you'd have a little bit of room left over. And you, they, they only take eight weeks. You buy the chicks, you raise them for eight weeks, and then you sell them as fryers. And he ran through the numbers. He said in the first couple of years, you could probably make be making about 50 grand a year just off the chickens if you wanted. That's not bad. Yeah. And he said once you got more efficient at it and you got a bigger market, he said seventy to 80000 wouldn't be out of the question once you got that operation running right. Mm-hmm. You going to put any cattle on it? No. No cattle. I thought about that. Um, if, I need, if I need big game meat, I just could take an elk every year. I mean, it would not be hard. I, we have elk that just lay around on the property. Not that I would shoot them on the property. It just doesn't seem fair. But um, there's plenty of, of big game hunting. We've got mule deer, tons of elk, more, more wild turkeys than I have ever seen. I mean, at one point, I think I probably had 35 turkeys wandering around the, the field. Yeah, it's pretty okay. uh, So. I'm going to head that way and uh, see about getting some technology installed, and maybe I'll, I'll be broadcasting from there one day this week. All right. All right. Thank Take you, guys, care. as always, and we'll see you again next week. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.